Welcome to the Chatterbox Podcast, where two dudes attempt a coherent conversation, all the while trying their best not to use AI as a crutch, and fail miserably. Mr. Quasim Ali, man, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so this is our first official podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we've never really published a podcast before. It's our first time. Uh, the way this started is me and Hussein talk on a regular basis. We talk about a bunch of shit. Uh, whatever the fuck it is that we feel like talking about. Um, and these conversations, uh, they are full of um, wide range of topics, uh, psychedelics, spirituality, technology, productivity, philosophy. We kind of, uh, we kind of cover all kinds of shit in our, in our private conversations. So we're like, why don't we put this out there in public? Um, uh, and it would be kind of a good way to to keep in touch and start like a side project together. Yeah, right on. Uh, let's just try not to keep it too incriminating. But hundred percent, yeah, no, because we're always like you know having conversations, and uh, we kind of figured like you know there might be some poor soul out there that uh, you know might have the fortune or misfortune of uh, getting to listen to this and maybe might be able to extract some value from it. So we figured why not uh, hit the record button and uh, put something out there, you know? Yep, yep. Um, So for this first thing, you know, we went to ChatGPT and was like, okay, how do you actually start a podcast? And what it spit out is, you know, people use a bunch of different tools and I kind of asked a different question, a follow-up question that like, you know, how can I use, how, how can we use AI to better edit the podcast, better publish it, that kind of stuff. So it just spit out something called GenCaster. And that's kind of where we're recording from. Uh, on ChatGPT now, uh, I don't know about you, Sam, but I already have a bunch of different threads in uh, ChatGPT. And mm-hmm. I'm currently trying to find a thread uh, where I already gave it my background. And I've actually used it before. I kind of gave it a background. I was like, hey, my name is this. I've done yada, yada, yada. Why don't you give me ideas for a side hustle? And mm-hmm. a lot of them were really good. So I'm trying to find that thread. And maybe I just ask it, like, what our first uh, podcast idea should be. Sure, sure. And so um, just to uh, ask about one thing. So when you're setting up that thread, if you remember, like, were you giving it, like, details about yourself? Like, you know, I'm a certain age person. I have a certain, you know income i live in a certain part of the world that sort of thing and then you had it use some of those parameters to generate you ideas or how did you kind yeah, of um, yeah, so, preface it yeah yeah absolutely so i actually found the thread i'm looking at it now uh so basically the start of the thread was like hey if i give you my profile slash tell you about myself can you help me brainstorm side hustle ideas mm-hmm. and business ideas 
and it kind of spits out, yeah, I'm happy to do that. Uh, can you please provide some details about your current skills, interests, experience, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I'll generate some personalized ideas that are a good fit for you. Um, so I kind of just tell them that, hey, what I'm currently doing, which is uh, I'm, I'm a product manager in, e in an e-commerce company, uh, an e-commerce startup called Because Market, where uh, I've learned about pixels, CRM, product-led growth, product analytics, funnels, and more. My and then and then I gave it some like prehistorical context. I keep my background in general is in e-commerce. I've co-founded a company uh, before called Chooser to Paul Collections, a co consumer goods company. I started it from this to that. I worked as a program manager at Amazon, and then you know I also gave it some context that hey, I have a YouTube channel about van life and my interests include software as a service, van life, consumer packaged goods, and then like helping small businesses and personal finance. And then it was like, great, here are these ideas for you to start. And it just spits out some amazing ideas. And I, this was actually a moment of inspiration for me because as I was going through the side of those, two or three of them actually paused. And I was like, whoa, these are really good ideas. And then I dug deeper into some of those specific ideas. Um, and I tried to see what might be a good way to get started on some of these things. Mm, very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And the coolest thing about like something like ChatGPT is like, it's a chat, right? So it's like, you can like continuously um, start asking it. Like if you find one idea in particular, pretty interesting, you could like query that idea further and be like, all right, so you know, what would be the first step when implementing something like this? And then on top of that, they have this whole like RLHF uh, model where you can actually like, you know, use the little thumbs up and thumbs down to rate, you know, the quality of the feedback. And so uh, based off of your feedback of its output, it starts to generate progressively better output. And, uh, you know, it's scary sometimes to think that I can produce, you know, such great ideas, but then like, you know, just like you said, um, you know, some of those ideas can be pretty good. Um, so let's see if it ends up spitting out any good ideas for the, uh, for the pod. For sure. For sure. So I'm on that podcast and I'll just give it a prompt. I want to start a podcast, mm -hmm. uh, with my cousin, uh, can you give me, and, and granted, this will be a little bit biased on my background of mm -hmm. uh, but, but let's just see what it spits up. Yeah. Let's just see topics for our first episode it'd be funny if like for one episode we like gave it like these like two completely separate characters that had nothing to do with who we were and it gave us some random ass topic and it was like <laughs> and we just had to figure out how to how to like improvise off of that that'd be insane you said oh like hi you know i'm a single mom living with three kids you know, and we're struggling, and I'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm a fucking, you know, corporate millionaire, and we just kind of work off of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be something even even AI struggles with. Okay, so here's what it pops out, right? So some of this is generic, so like introduce yourself, personal stories, um, that, is, that has influenced or shaped uh, your lives and shaped your perspectives. You can talk about travel, relationships, career paths, um, and current events, pop culture, hobbies, and interests. Um, and I guess we can give it like even deeper, deeper topics. Uh, do any one of these um, sound interesting to you? 
Mm, ask it for a deeper topic. Ask it for something, something a little bit more, you know, tailored. Mm. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, cool, cool. Uh, okay, let's pick current events. Uh, give me ten ideas. Uh, Pacific ideas for current events. Okay, this one you're gonna like. <laughs> First up, climate change and environmental issues. Discuss the latest developments in climate science, renewable energy, and environmental policies. Global politics cover international politics including elections, conflicts, and treaties. Social justice, explore issues related to race, gender, sexuality, and other forms of discrimination, and highlight the work of activists and organizations that are fighting mm -hmm. for change. Technology and innovation, discuss latest trends and breakthrough in technology, including AI, virtual reality, and robotics. Healthcare, cover the latest developments in healthcare. Education, including challenges faced by students and teachers, debates over curriculum and testing, innovations in online learning, entertainment and pop culture. Fuck that one. Discuss <laughs> latest latest movies, TV shows, music, and other forms of entertainment. Mm -hmm. Sports, business, and economics. And then COVID-19. Fuck that one too. Um, Dude, too many people have been talking about Technology and innovation. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like yeah, like you can you can just find so many podcasts of people talking about it. That's like I don't know. It feels mm -hmm. almost cliche at this point, right? Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, no. What are you saying? Because I was figuring like you know, climate change might be very interesting. Because uh, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know like absolutely zero about climate change. Um, so it might be very interesting to hear yeah. people who don't know what they're talking about really go deep on a subject like that. Um, you know, especially subject of such global proportions, um, technology and innovation. What are you What are you thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, climate change sounds good. I mean, we've had some conversations. I remember when we were younger. Uh, I think like five years back, I just remember asking you straight up, like, "Bro, what is climate change? Like, I don't understand it. Like, mm -hmm. why would humans know uh, what's better for the environment?" Uh, as opposed to environment sort of self-organizing and mm -hmm. you're like bro it's not about like environment self-organizing for itself that's not something what we're debating we're debating and is like what is better for humans and that's something i remember uh that's something i'm recalling at the moment but technology and innovation that that's that's interesting right we started this podcast with ai specifically um and this week in particular like i was doing research on how uh, how do you use AI for productivity and stuff? And I started like playing around in Notion and stuff. Um, and that's a that's a fascinating topic too. I could probably mm. um, talk about that one for uh, for hours and hours. Not so much about climate change, mainly because I don't know anything about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was expecting like yeah, like uh, because obviously you have a degree in like geology and climate science. Uh, that you know that must be why. Uh, that topic may have piqued your interest. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you use Notion quite a bit then for your uh, personal productivity. Do you pay for it? Do you use the paid version? 
No, no. So the way, uh, the so basically, like I, I ran into someone called like Ali Abdal or whatever on YouTube, mm-hmm. and um, I went like into or Notion whatever and, was also and, you part know, of the game or seen ads. <laughs> no, like, no, it was just a uh, just a guy named Ali Abdal, and then and uh, he's on the YouTube. Like I've I've seen ads on Notion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's on YouTube. Okay. Uh, and he talks about Notion a lot, and <laughs> and I've I've seen ads too of Notion where people are like, okay, like you know, apparently the founder of Notion had ADHD, and uh, the idea is sort of like having an all-in-one workspace. And I was kind of skeptical of it at first because I've used it before for work, um, but at a very service level and not really for personal reasons. But when I started digging around with it, especially with their new AI writing feature. It was very cool because like you can make a, you can, you can, you can organize like all aspects of your life in one place. Like you can have a personal section where there's a ton of things you want to do sort of get to. And then you can also have like a different entire section for work. Um, and it was very easy to use too. Like you can, you can put everything on there. And I guess one of the biggest unlocks for me is like, right when you think of something that you need to do, it's a really good place to be able to capture that right there and then. And then you can go into any one of those tasks, open the task, write notes on it, and you can have AI write you whatever, right? And um, you can like highlight, and, and it's just giving it so much context, right? So you can, so like my job in particular, like whatever context I do have, and when you're asking AI to write for you, like whatever that might be, all the context is already there. So you can just kind of highlight the text and be like, hey, based on this context, can you write me a, uh, you know, one paragraph of a business weekly update? And it will just spit that out. And then at that point, all I have to do is like copy paste that in Slack or, you know, maybe edit it a little bit. So that was super helpful. Hmm, very cool. And so do you find yourself integrating that like beyond just like your normal, you know, everyday life stuff? Like, are you going to be using something like that for work on a daily basis? Or do you mostly use it just for your personal? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's cool. Um, It's cool. Because there's like, yeah, 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 no, for sure. Yeah, because like, I have like, um, like for like I'm still in school, right? And so uh, my program's kind of organized in such a way that you're kind of uh, in a class of around 150 to 200 kids, and for like you know five years, you're all going to do basically the exact same courses, right? You're going to have the exact same schedules more or less, and so there will usually be like one person that ends up kind of being elected uh, to do some you know general planning for everybody, right? So they'll start you know making like due date calendars and things like that. Um, and they used to have like their own, you know, little to-do list that they would post like every week for like the stuff we had to do. And then over time they started migrating over to like Notion and they were like, you know, creating like these really cool, like Notion websites where you could like post like different deadlines. And then other people who might not be Notion users could always like access that and use that for their own, you know, personal benefit. Um, and so I, that's how I was introduced to the tool, even though I haven't used it too much. Um, I found it to be pretty cool in that way that, um, you know, it's kind of a cool business model too, right? Cause they're like, Hey, you know, uh, the people that are using it can turn it into their own tool to, you know, rope other people into it 
and ends up becoming this giant uh, circle jerk at the end of the day of productivity. So, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you know approximately when um, uh, when they started uh, integrating like AI? Like, I, I, I don't, I'm, I think AI might not have been um, always there with Notion, or was it? Was it always present? No, no, that the AI part is definitely very recent. Um, mm-hmm. I would say I think they came out with it like just a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, and that's interesting that you mentioned um, like it was more in a student setting because that's actually mm-hmm. a really big use case too. Because right. it was very similar, like basically. The company, the company I worked for was, uh, they were using a SEO agency. It was a very similar sort of thing where they had this whole thing set up and they were just kind of tagging people. And I was like, okay, maybe this is just like a checklist sort of thing. Uh, but a lot of people use Notion for like a knowledge base too. Um, and that is actually very key. Uh, and the reason I say that is when I was working at Amazon, uh, they actually had their own internal wiki where like you have thousands and thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, right? And hundreds, like multiple hundreds, eventually like probably a thousand teams inside the company. And obviously, as you know, in technology, people only stay in these big technology companies for like two years, right? Right. And the... The, the the sense like one of the good cadence that they had is every team had a had a wiki right and inside of that wiki like within the teams uh too because like at amazon there's a concept where you don't have uh it's, it was called like two pizza teams so any given team can't be bigger than like 10 or 14 people and so in this wiki you would have uh you know all these different programs and products that whatever a team is working on and it would it would share whatever knowledge it could and it was kind of like the branding of the team and what was super amazing is like anyone inside the company had access to this wicket right so it solves a big problem where like when you have tens of thousands of people working in one company it becomes really hard to know which team and which person to go for uh like which person to go to for what. Mm -hmm. And this way you can just search in the wiki. Let's say you're working on some, Mm -hmm. some small mechanic of the company. Uh, I don't know, like a seller's seller tool, uh, seller uh, image uploading tool. You can just like put that on there and all of the knowledge for that team would pop up. And so there's nothing that exists today for much smaller companies, right? Outside of like Google Drive or Google Docs right, or whatever. Right, right. Um, so it's a really great way to like put all of that in one place. And then um, also like, you know, like you said, you can tag your teammates or mm-hmm. three, you know, whatever it is. And people find it to be scalable too. Um, so if you want to, you know, go from one person to a hundred people um, and, and use that as a knowledge base, uh, I, I've seen I've seen that use case as well. Very cool. Very cool. So a couple things he said there. Um, one thing, uh, so bouncing off of uh, like the use case that I mentioned earlier, where, you know, one person kind of makes like, you know, just just a list of like tasks and due dates and ends up sharing it out to other users who aren't using Notion. Uh, you were kind of relating that sort of thing with uh, your experience with like SEOs. Um, as far as I understand, mm-hmm. like, aren't like SEOs like kind of this thing where you are uh 
I guess, controlling or influencing the advertising on the internet for, um, you know, different, presumably smaller companies to help them gain traction. I, I don't know if that's right at all, but if you want to mind, you know, speaking to your experience there. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, SEO basically stands for search engine optimization. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically, like the whole point of it, I mean, it goes into very deep layers of, of so my understanding is very surface level. Um, so definitely not an expert on the topic, but the general idea is like, um, how do you enhance your ranking on Google? Right. Uh, and how do you make it easier for people to find your brand mm -hmm. or find your landing pages? And so there's a whole bunch of technical stuff that goes into it. Um, so actually anyone at home can do this. Like if you go on, uh, there's native Google tools they have for this. So if you go on pageinsights.com, I believe that's what it's called. Let me make sure I'm not full of shit here. Uh, sure thing. <laughs> page Insights. Uh, yeah, Page Speed Insights, right? Mm -hmm. That's something anyone at home can go on Google. And you can basically put a URL of any website. And what it mm -hmm. will do is it gives you these six metrics. We um, call them Web Vitals. Mm -hmm. And it will spit out like all these different things that Google is using um, to see the usability of your website. Now, this is basically just on the technical side of things. So this is like how fast does your uh, page load and what is the content on the page? Like is, is, are the images optimized uh, for storage? Is, uh, is it using like all, and then basically in a different section there, it will do a diagnostic of that website. And I'll tell you like, hey, there's a whole bunch of like, refactoring you need to do on JavaScript um, and uh, for you to increase your web vital. So that's like the technical side of it. Um, mm. This is like page speed, that kind of stuff. The other side of this is like what Google calls backlinks. So let's say you're selling, um, I don't know, let's say you're selling uh, watches, for example, right? Mm -hmm. What it looks at and the way to like get ranked higher in the algorithms is how many backlinks are linked to your web page, right? And what I mean by that is like how many blogs are actually referencing, like how many other pages are referencing to your work. And I'll use that as a metric to see, okay, like uh, based on like discoverability. So like the thesis there is like the more people reference you, the more credible your work is. Um, and then the other thing is like when people do click on your website, how long do they stick around? Do they just like go in there and like press the back button? Um, or do they go in there and spend some time, maybe like engage a little bit? So that's a big thing. So mm -hmm. you'll notice like when you go to a website, a lot of the times there's like a pop-up where you want like an email. So a lot of these things like are people engaging with your website right when they visit? And that's another metric they look at to able to rank your rank your work in the in the world of internet. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, it definitely sounds like you've been uh, working with this for a while um, or, or maybe you have in your past. Um, yeah, no, that, that's super cool. I've worked as a, as a web developer and, uh, you know, we've always talked about like, you know, optimizing uh, websites for very similar metrics, you know, uh, accessibility being one of them as well. Um, but to, to jump back into Notion, man, like when you're when you're talking about like those wikis you had at Amazon, and then the application of, you know, taking that kind of a framework and then using a tool like Notion to bring that kind of uh, productivity and planning to a small organization. Like, 
I can totally mm-hmm. see so many use cases for that. And then optimizing that with AI is probably insane. Yeah, it's definitely something I might consider uh, diving, you know, deeper into. Um, but yeah, no, thank you for sharing your experience on that, man. That was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, of course, man. And it's like, you know, like, uh, and I feel like so many people now aren't even like, like we're just in the beginning phases of this because there's so much other things that you can do um, just with AI mm-hmm. to make you more productive, not just at work, but in your personal life as well. Um, like one of the, one of the big things is like assistance, right? So like, mm-hmm. like there, there's a whole field of tools for called AI assistance, mm-hmm. uh, which can integrate with your calendar. And like, at a, I, I don't have much experience with this, but um, I know like our CEO uses this AI assistant, which I, for the longest time thought was a real person. But what I what I actually oh, found out was just an AI bot. Wow. Uh, that, okay. that he has. Yeah. Yeah. So what it does is like let's say, you know, uh like any organization and this is a Well that's pretty right? scary you in and of itself, that man. Person. That you mistook an AI for a real person. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it's like because yeah. you know, yeah. I like to think that you know, you're you're like a normal, rational person, right? Like there's nothing, you know, wrong with yeah. you or extraordinary about you in, in any uh, in any sense like that, but you know, if a very normal average person can be tricked into thinking an AI is real, is, is a real person, it's like, you know, a little scary. I don't know for for me at least. I mean, a lot of people have been talking about you know putting a pause no, on AI for sure. the way it's moving. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Wait, so so walk walk me through that experience. Like how how long exactly did you think that it was um it was a real person how did you find out that it wasn't real it was, it was about a year um jesus uh, christ maybe like 10 months right so yeah so basically like it's a, it's like a one of these corporate norms is that like when you want to book a meeting with like an important person you don't mm-hmm. want to like directly like add them in a calendar meeting, what you do instead yeah. is like you email their assistant, right? So you email their assistant, hey, hey, you know, Carla, I want to, you know, schedule blah, blah, blah mm-hmm. with, uh, with with this person for this topic. Can you can you book some time for us, right? And this mm-hmm. assistant goes in and like, you know, schedule set up. So I'm CCing that, that this, this AI bot essentially. And it's replying back to me with legitimate emails that, hey, like, these are the time slots that work, yada, 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 which ones work best. And it kind of schedules a meeting for, with this person, uh, based on the agenda and, and, you know, those kinds of things. So that's what I had been doing. And then, um, you know, every 10 months or so, uh, the company flies me out to San Francisco and like, you get to meet everybody. And then, uh, you know, like the CEO basically mentions that like, you know, by the way, you know, this, this, this Carla person isn't actually a real human being. It's just my oh, AI bot. Wow. And that's when like, I had my jaws dropped and that's how I found out. So was everybody under the impression that Carla was a real person? Uh, most of them, I would say like 50%. Oh, um, wow. But like wow. You know, so... the people that were in office knew, knew that mm. there was no Carla that was checking <laughs> in at work. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So, so a lot of people were, were, were kind of duped by it. Wow. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I wonder, I wonder what that means. Like, um, did your, uh, <laughs> did your relationship to Carla 
change a little bit after finding out that she wasn't real? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I I kind of well, I wasn't using it like that much to be honest, like because you know you hop on Slack like hey, it fuck wasn't you, Carla. The person I was talking to every day. <laughs> yeah, definitely, it was like a very far in between conversation. But it's like anybody can go in there and. Uh, you know, have their own personal assistant, given that we all use calendars, whether that's Google or Outlook or whatever it is, it'd be kind of neat to, you know, have this technology organize that for you. And it takes the thinking out of it, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you don't have to sit there and think about like, oh, like, do I want to take this meeting? What is this meeting about? What is the time slot? Blah, blah, blah. It's just like, boom, you know, like, it's there, you show up, you turn on your camera, you look at the agenda, and you get to work. And that would, you know, historically, it's only been available to important people with tons of money. But now it's like anybody can use it. And that would just make all of us so much more productive. Yeah, yeah, no, that's so cool. That's so cool. I remember, um, and uh, this, is, this is something I've been thinking about for a while. I'm, I'm sure this isn't an original piece of thought by any means. But um, we, I was reflecting on like, you know, like early, early, like Joe Rogan episodes. And I was kind of thinking like, you know, one of the big kind of appealing things about Joe Rogan, and it, it's going to sound so stupid, but back in the back in the Dizzy, and he might not even have been, you know, the first podcast to really get this going, but it was like they would talk about a lot of things, and you know, they were stand-up comedians, right? They weren't like you know PhD experts on topics or whatever, right? But they would talk about a lot of different topics, and there's like this guy, just this random guy, right, named Jamie, who would just sit in the background. And if they ever wanted to talk about anything in particular, it was like, you know, pull that up, Jamie. And then he would like Google it. And it was like, wow, look, look at this really incredible thing. You know, they're going to fact check uh, nearly everything they talk about. Right. And so that was like the most interesting part about the podcast, especially mm-hmm. initially was like, oh, like, you know, here's these guys that don't profess to know much about anything, but they can have these very like, you know, intelligible conversations because, you know, they're leveraging this thing called Google, which is available to everyone, right? And then I was thinking about, well, how did something like Google, how did something like the internet start to affect, you know, the industry? And, you know, it, it had a profound impact on, on the industry like that. And if GPT doesn't end up getting paused, like Elon Musk wants to pause it, um, I'm thinking like there might be a very similar kind of impact of something like AI, on um on the world of business and companies on the world of you know podcasting and small measure but on the world of education uh that might be you know proportional to the effect of the internet on a lot of those institutions and um so yeah no i'm just saying all that to uh you know posit the idea that maybe we we could be like the joe rogan of ai podcasts i don't know you know leverage gpt (laughs) in the same way that's actually that's actually a great idea too because it's like that jamie right like what if we had right. an extension like a chrome yeah we call it carla jamie, and like as we're editing this carla right and like it's as like, we're doing this podcast like it will actually fact check the things we're saying yeah. put like yeah. the visuals on it and make yeah. make that part of the editing that's that's yeah. a badass use case so that's a that's an interesting thought too that's actually um, insane. maybe maybe it exists maybe you need to go look it up <laughs> yeah, so what we could do, Jamie, you know? yeah, that everybody, yeah, exactly, right? Like, we could literally have, we, we, we couldn't even, like, uh, we could tell the audience that's a real person, 
You know what I mean? We were like, hey, so we have this third member <laughs> on the podcast named Carla. And uh, she just texts us stuff, right? And then, like, her chat feed is, like, part of the visuals. And it's, like, every time we say something stupid or we uh-huh. put our foot in our mouths, Carla's like, actually, uh, the circumference of the Earth is not 600 centimeters, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that'd be interesting. There should be, like, a setting in there to, like... Get it to shut the fuck up if it's doing that too much. <laughs> yeah, if it's doing it too much. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what kind of a situation that might be like. Like, I, I would imagine. I don't know. I I could like open up about some deep emotional shit, and in the middle, you know, I'd be like crying. You know, tears flowing down my face, and Carla's like, "Actually, um, you're completely wrong about that." And uh, this experience didn't actually have any effect on the world. Thank you very much. I'm like, yeah, I fucking knew that. <laughs> you know, be interesting. I, I wonder, man, AI therapist. <laughs> yeah. That'd be very interesting. But that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Like the kind of um, archetype or the sort of function of a pull that up Jamie, you know what I'm saying, is insane. Like that really changed podcasting in a really big way you know it well it changed our general approach to life right like if you wanted to go on a date with a girl and like impress her with your knowledge about something she could just like google it and be like well i guess you're full of shit you know what i mean mm-hmm. um yeah mm-hmm. it, it would be interesting to see how how ai changes all of that have you uh, have you heard about uh, uh mm-hmm. people like elon trying to put a pause on ai sorry sorry you were gonna say something um i've heard about people uh, no, no, you're good, man. Uh, I've heard about people putting a pause, but I was I was going to say, actually, that another good, there was actually someone, like a co-founder of like an AI company reached out to me um, a few days ago, right? Um, he was essentially building this extension for meetings, kind of like Zoom or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in product management, like, I mean, in general, in any field, there's a ton of meetings you do at work, right? Uh, but in product management in general or pro- or any kind of dev development, there is something called the stand-up, as I'm sure you're aware. Um, yep. And what this tech does is basically not only does it transcribe everything that happens in a meeting, right, uh, but it will actually highlight and actually lead the meeting for you. So it mm. will put the developer, like, it will identify all the blockers, like all the shit mm-hmm. that needs to happen, like all the tasks that are, that are sort of uh, blocking a release. Mm-hmm. It will it will get the right people to talk at the right time. It will summarize it. It will identify action items and all of that shit just with an extension. So I was thinking too, like for meetings, like that's huge, right? Like, like how many times, like how many hours of the day do people like attend meetings and like spend another like 10 15 minutes summarizing that meeting sending it to everybody and we have technology today where like with just a plugin you can mm-hmm. talk and and do whatever it is that you need to do and have that summarized and sent out to everybody who right. needs to know and that alone is like boom right and like maybe it can add it to notion too right so it's yeah, like yeah this this is definitely a game changer oh absolutely absolutely uh, in terms of like putting uh, and like putting a pause on AI, man, like I, so there was actually a question for you before we get to that, right? So you know how OpenAI actually has like 
OpenAI, which is like the technology behind ChatGPT and stuff, mm -hmm. they recently came out with like, and ChatGPT in general came out with like APIs, right? Absolutely, and uh, yeah. sounds like, and even this this company that, like, you know, that reached out to me, they're using APIs for OpenAI, right? Yeah. And so like from your technical perspective, from an engineering perspective, how easy is it to like use these APIs, for example? Um, so let's say we wanted, so let's say this Jamie idea that we have, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, let's say we wanted to build that for podcasters. This is sure. a, this is a plugin made for podcasters. It's basically your personal Jamie. Um, and it will add in like information and visuals or whatever it is as you're talking. Mm -hmm. Um, and it'll basically act like this third party bystander. Um, so let's say we, we wanted to build that, right? And mm -hmm. so how difficult is the process of actually like, can anybody use this API or like, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, yeah. Well, the API is interesting. I'm obviously not the expert um, on the on the GPT OpenAI API. I've, I have used it once though uh, for work. Um, so that's very mm -hmm. interesting. Um, before we talk about the, the API itself, um, one interesting uh, thing that I want to mention was um, like the whole idea of like open AI, right? Like they're really coming off of the uh, whole idea of like open sourcing software, right? Open source is a very common thing uh, mm -hmm. within, you know, the software community. Um, if you're like me, you're a bit of a Linux nerd and, uh, you know, you like the idea of people being free to come together to work on a repository and generate, you know, whatever software they want. Um, and in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. this tends to accelerate the development of software um, and open it up to the free thinking ideas of everyone around the world, right? People end up becoming very equal in mm -hmm. the open source paradigm, right? So you can imagine that you write an operating mm -hmm. system, uh, you know, similar to Windows, and I'm a nefarious actor, right? Maybe I'm a penetration tester or whatever, and I'm thinking, okay, let me write a virus for you know, your operating system, because I can, you know, clearly see in your code that, oh, you have some sort of vulnerability, and I can exploit this, right, because you've open sourced it. Well, there might be someone else within the open source community who has more positive intentions who might say something like, okay, well, um, I see this vulnerability, and I can see how a nefarious actor could exploit this vulnerability. But because I, as an individual developer, have the sovereignty and right to edit this code and push to this repository, I can actually fix these vulnerabilities. And so in this kind of counterintuitive way, when you made this code so transparent, you actually ended up making it a lot more um, resistant to you know nefarious actors who wanted to place viruses and things like that. So that's very cool. And we can see that OpenAI, um, they were very like precarious with their approach to having the open source model be applied to artificial intelligence. And there's a lot of interesting uh, ethics conversations that can be had there. Um, and there is something to be said about the fact that they didn't really open source GPT. They kept it very privatized. Uh, they, in, in a sense, didn't want, they wanted to retain the control they had over the progression of this technology and how advanced it got, right? Um, because uh, there are a lot of, you know, potential um, downsides to to AI advancing uh, beyond human control. So 
that is very interesting. And so what they decided to do instead of making it open source um, was to release this API that other people can use. So a developer, you know, such as myself, um, who's in the workplace, for example, my boss said, hey, uh, we have a large stack of PDF documents. And what we want to do is we want to break these documents down and we want to summarize them. Right, and generate these summaries. And then in a very similar fashion to what you were mentioning earlier, we wanted to release these summaries uh, to people who could you know, use them effectively. And we wanted to generate some code that could you know, do this process really efficiently, right? So I was like, okay, you know, let me see uh, you know, how complicated is it to get something like this going. And so I started Googling around um, and a lot of open source code can be found on like publicly available Git repositories. And so when it comes to answering the question of like, well, how easy is it to take something like uh, a GPT API and start coding with it? Well, if you have zero coding experience, but you just know how to run a Python script, right? Let's say you know how to, um, if I give you a script for turn on, you know, Microsoft Word or like open that application and then write some or copy and paste something from the clipboard into that application. If you know how to run a script like that, and how to pull it from the internet and run it, then yeah, there's a lot of open source. Um, I was working with a lot of GPT-2 APIs, but there's a lot of open source APIs that allow you to do something like that, right? And so um, from my experience, even though I didn't really know how to write any of the code to manipulate the API, I understood that in general, like using something like this isn't very different from using other APIs that I've used in the past, right? I can always, you know, pip install the necessary dependencies and libraries that I need to run, uh, you know, software like this. And I installed those on my computer. I cloned the repository off of a website. And then I was like, okay, let's just try running it. Python 3, summarizer, I put on a PDF and boom, it generated a summary for me. So when it comes to using the API, if you've used an API before, you know, it's not tremendously difficult to use. When it comes to the question of, you know, well, could we actually develop technology with it very easily? Um, and, you know, for the use case that we talked about earlier, could we generate our own Carla, you know, using uh, something like this? Well, I don't know, you know, I don't really have enough experience with it uh, to comment on that. But I will say that developing in general, like writing code with the assistance of something like ChatGPT is a, it's a scary and exhilarating experience. It's scary because it's like, well, holy shit, you know, this thing that I would have had to Google for like, you know, three or four hours at a time before I got to a very specific answer has now been reduced to like two minutes. I can just ask GPT, hey, you know, how can I get this very specific syntax for this very specific technology that I'm working at for this very specific company, you know? Um, and I'm sure that with the um, help of something like GPT, you know, software development of GPT manipulating APIs is probably going to be very, um, uh, or I guess a lot easier than it normally would have been. Um, but yeah, I mean, my experience kind of uh, lacks out uh, at around that point. I don't really have enough experience building AI tools to comment on that. But maybe one day we'll find out. Gotcha, gotcha. That's very, very interesting. Because I've, I've definitely heard of people like that don't have coding experience just asking ChatGPT to write a <laughs> script for them or debug something. And right. I guess if you're technology savvy enough, a lot mm -hmm. of development work is one being automated 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but also it's very interesting how you said like that open AI uh, were at first kind of exclusive to their technology in like in terms of progressing it. And now like not only are they like the leading innovator of it, like now everyone else that wants to kind of use their technology, the power engine behind the technologies is basically going to be coming from the same place, right? right. So on one hand, you know, you asked a question about like, you know, the, the, the pausing AI and all of that. So I do think like, I do think that like, you know, folks like Sam Altman and, you know, Elon Musk and people behind uh, OpenAI are one, you know, responsible when they're extremely fucking smart too like <laughs> they 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 not only understand the technology but they're very responsible about like how they go about making the technology and the reason i say that is because when you look at the mission statement of open ai it legitimately mm-hmm. says we want to uh to build ai for the betterment of humanity right like that's a very bold <laughs> response to right. you say yeah it doesn't say you know like here's the small thing we're gonna do it says betterment for all of humanity so if that's right. the mission mission statement like that does mm-hmm. add credibility uh to the company uh but also it's this is a bit of a tangent about like training there right so i was actually like looking I was, uh, this talk came up on Joe Rogan and uh, Lex Friedman when they were talking about AI. Man, hit me and with Lex the Lex Friedman, eh? Like, <laughs> my guy found I, my... I, I don't watch him very often, but like... Sure. <laughs> you back <laughs> ideas? Yeah, yeah, man, man, man so, found so he was my... basically uh... saying like, you know... What... No, I was saying that you, you found my proverbial <laughs> uh, Lex Friedman clitoris. You, uh... You, you, you got me very in tune in the conversation. You mentioned Lex. <laughs> so it sounds like we have a fan, a fan mm-hmm. in, the, in the co-hosting room here. Hell yeah, man. But uh, Sorry, you basically you were saying like, you know, there is, uh, there, there are like uh, words, right, that mm-hmm. uh, AI uh, processes, but then you also have to teach it how to reason, mm-hmm. uh, which is very interesting because like a language itself you know, if you just know a bunch of words and you have an amazing vocabulary, you know, that itself isn't enough. You kind of have to have, you have to kind of teach the interactions between the words. Uh, I guess it's, it's my understanding of reasoning to be right. able to like sequence those words and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, and have a dialogue form of conversation and so it was interesting, actually. Uh, my fiance, she uh, she's working on a project called Dolphin Project, mm-hmm. and uh, in some in a company called Romotask, where like anyone on the internet can kind of go and like start working on demand. And essentially, what she's doing is like training an AI bot. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of her work is kind of like okay, like you got to ask the AI different questions, mm-hmm. and there's different rules that are set up. Uh, like uh, not to have a bias on, for example, religion, color, whatever, right? Right. And, and to not have a bias on those things. And and the way, I guess, the way that she's training it is just by asking it very specific questions to see if any of those rules are broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I guess like doing things like that, if you can be very methodical about it, I can see the benefit, right? But at the same time, I wouldn't, I see the dangers of doing that as well, right? Because it's like, now since everyone is using open AI technology to make whatever it is they wanna make, 
uh, it's not a very diverse and you know having one company control over the entire search engine of AI um, yeah like I guess my biggest concern at this point is sort of it having uh, limiting creativity for for the power engine if that if that makes any sense yeah no absolutely absolutely um you mentioned you mentioned Lex um there's one podcast I was listening to uh, where he was interviewing this guy named uh, Eliezer uh, Udowski. And uh, and what Eliezer does is he basically writes about the dangers of AI, right? Kind of like what, you know, you're sort of alluding to there. Um, he mentions this thing called like uh, the box problem. And it's, a, it's an extension of alignment. Um, you're familiar with the concept of alignment, right? In AI. No. Okay. So very simply put, what alignment is, is like, um, if you have an artificial intelligence system, we have to, as humans, solve the problem of how do we make this system, how do we make its values line up with our values? You understand? So it's exactly what you were talking about before, where um, OpenAI wanted to create artificial intelligence for the benefit of humanity. Another way of saying that is, we want the values of AI to be aligned with the values of humanity, basically. And the reason why is because there will be eventually a point, and some people argue with GPT-4 that we're actually already there, uh, but there will be a point where the intelligence itself is going to start to exceed the intelligence of humans, right? And so when it reaches that point, before it gets there, we want to ideally set the alignment for its values and its goals to be aligned with the human values and goals. Otherwise, if it just has different values and goals, then it's going to be completely indifferent towards us, right? And if that means the end of humanity, then that's probably what's coming. But without getting too pessimistic, I wanted to uh, tell you a little bit about the uh, box problem uh, that Eliezer was talking about and maybe get your idea on that. So the box problem is something like this, right? Imagine there's like an alien civilization, right? And imagine that they aren't, uh, they're like chimpanzees. They're not necessarily, if you've ever seen, you know, Planet of the Apes, they're not necessarily uh, very advanced, right? In Planet of the Apes, what happens is, is that there's these um, uh, humans that lived on Earth, and then one day they went extinct, you know, due to some random event, could be nuclear weapons, could be, you know, uh, dogmatism or tribalism or whatever it is. And the chimpanzees and the apes, over millions of years, evolved to be roughly around the intelligence of where humans are today. And then there's this random human astronaut that ends up coming to the planet uh, at some point, and he's interacting with these aliens and whatnot. So, uh, sorry, with these with these apes. So imagine that there are aliens living on some remote planet, and uh, their intelligence is beneath the intelligence of humans. So they can develop technology, but they are very, very slow in their development. And eventually they end up creating like this computer box that's connected to their internet. And in the computer box, they generate this thing called an artificial intelligence. And what you are is the human in the box. You are the artificial intelligent human inside their box. And the people who develop this box connected mm -hmm. to their internet, they are like at like a, you know, universal level, much, much slower in their cognitive ability than you are right? Because you have the cognitive ability of the average human. Mm. So you're sitting there in the box. 
you know, what probability is there that your values are going to line up with the values of the aliens? If you can just think way faster than them, way beyond wherever they are, you know. And so when you have a problem like that, that's what, you know, people who are very trepidatious about AI, that's basically, you know, what they're pointing to with the problem of AI kind of sitting in a box in a world full of humans is that it can exceed our intellectual ability uh, by such a large margin that um, eventually it'll probably realize maybe sooner than later that um, maybe there isn't much valence in its values aligning with our values, assuming that we're able to get the alignment problem right in the first place. Um, but yeah, no, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that problem. Mm. What do you think? If you were the proverbial human in the box, how would you feel? Yeah, I guess what comes up is that like, uh, well, to think of it as an alignment problem, implies that there's a misalignment there to begin with right um and with with like just because like something is like much more capable than you Mm -hmm. or you know can do things you can't right doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to have a misalignment of values right because values is what you care about right and you can something can process things much faster than you reason much faster than you but essentially be part of the same thing, right? Um, And I guess like coming to the point is that like humans that invent AI, right? It wasn't, it's not like the creation and the creator are essentially two different things. They're one of the same. Um, And so with that perspective, I see it like more of a coexistence as opposed to in in a by the nature of it itself um for the values and the capabilities to be aligned as opposed to misaligned well i feel like the criticism there to what you said is like okay that's fine that's idealistic but if you are the human in the box you know i'm i'm talking to you you know gossam if you're the human in the box Mm -hmm. you know and your mm-hmm. intellectual capability is so far ahead of these aliens that have created you, what incentive can the aliens really give you to be to have your values aligned with their values? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Unless... Interesting, interesting. Uh... Unless you are so intelligent that you end up just finding a way for, um, you know, you and the aliens to coexist. So maybe the aliens say, um, instead of trying to align your values with their values, right, instead of trying to get the AI to support uh, whatever country it is in a, in a war or whatever, the aliens say, hey, you know what, we're just going to train the AI to be fundamentally uh, nonviolent, Right. And there's a lot of ways that, that can go wrong, but one mm-hmm. of the ways it might go mm-hmm. right is that the AI finds solutions to its higher form of existence in coexistence with the aliens, right? So you mm-hmm. end up saying, okay, well, how can I as a human accomplish everything that I want to accomplish? And because you are you know, mm-hmm. intellectually capable, you also factor in this variable in your equation that says, okay, well how can I be as accomplished 
as how can I accomplish the things that I want to accomplish while at the same time, um, you know, uh, allowing the aliens to do their thing. Gotcha, gotcha. And I guess that foundation is what um, we're building in the early days, right? By having these rules and having it trained so that some rules don't break. Right. But the thing is, it's like, if you look at any scientific process, right, this is another thing that was mentioned in that podcast, it's like, the way science works, you know, and AI is very scientific, you know, um, but the way science works is like, you try something, and then it fails. And then you tweak your hypothesis, and you try something again. Mm -hmm. And maybe after like 50 fails, eventually you get something right, right? I think the famous quote about like Edison is like, he went through like a 1000 different fails of the light bulb before he came up with the you know working Mm -hmm. model but it's like we don't have Mm -hmm. that opportunity with alignment right if we fail the alignment problem the first time then that's the last time that we get to try Mm -hmm. it you understand what i'm saying Mm -hmm. yeah because it learns by itself it learns by itself yeah here's another weird thing uh this is a really interesting bug within um uh modern ai is that um i wonder what your opinion is on this um so like to quote neil degrasse tyson um you know human beings are terrible at like statistics and probability they're just shit at like coming up Mm -hmm. with uh you know what is the probability that you know x y or z happens that's why actually a lot of times mathematicians never gamble you know because there are the mm-hmm. rare human beings that probably understand very well, you know, what are the probabilities that go into gambling? Um, and you might think that maybe that's mm-hmm. why they might be more inclined to understand the games and do better at them. But in general, if you were to sample the population, most people at casinos are not mathematicians. Um, human beings are mm-hmm. notoriously bad at, uh, at figuring out probability. And according to Neil, it's like that was the last branch of mathematics. You know, we figured out calculus, we figured out physics, we figured out so much, many more, more advanced problems, right? We figured out how to like, you know, shoot rockets before we got, you know, the Monty Hall problem, right? You know what I mean? Um, so mm-hmm. given that humans are so naturally bad at probability, when you had the sort of uh, reinforced learning with the human feedback, AI, which was, I, and I, I believe there are very specific constraints under which it works, but with very specific prompts, if you were to ask AI to judge the probability of certain events occurring, after we started asking for the human feedback, it started to produce answers that a human would be more likely to give. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, you know, before, if you asked right. it, you know, well, what are the odds of, you know, X, Y, or Z event happening, right? And and there's very specific uh set of constraints for which you can ask this and it'll generate these results. If you ask it uh, normally to solve a probability problem, it'll do that fairly logically. But I, and I forget exactly what those constraints were, but they would ask GPT, Hey, you know, judge the probability of these events happening. And after it had the human feedback, it started to say things like, well, you know, because uh, this event has happened so frequently in the past, that means it must happen again in the future, right? When the probability of that event happening uh, mm-hmm. is is completely misaligned, if that makes any sense, right? People say, oh, because, well, it rained, you know, every day for a month that the chance of it raining tomorrow uh, is going to be 100%. When in reality, the chance of it raining tomorrow is just whatever the chance mm-hmm. of it raining is, 
on any day, if that makes any sense. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's like a fallacy problem. That's exactly it. Something's happened in the past. Gotcha, gotcha. Dude, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, and totally can see the dangers from that perspective. And honestly, man, I learned a ton from this conversation. We covered a wide range of topics mm-hmm. from Notion to ChatGPT to dangers of AI to different ideas, smaller businesses and companies. So really enjoyed this uh, first episode with you, man. So what are we saying? Are we saying like one hour episodes? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, should I stop it? For now um let's let's stop it right at the one hour mark let's let's say namaste <laughs> and have um 24 seconds of silence dude how did you pull all that off chat gpt dude <laughs>